you write a journal entry, whether you know five, ten years, fifteen years, whatever your goal may be, right? Let's say it's you know selling your company. You write a journal entry, envisioning what that exactly feels like, but then from that point, you actually work your way backwards and you identify what are the key milestones that are going to actually get you to that point. And again. Don't just think about the positives, but also think about the negatives. Think about the risks. Think about the the challenges and the hardships that you had to go through in order to reach that point. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Bruno Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Pierce, and as always, it's a pleasure to be here with you. My guest this week is David Lee. David is an investment banking professional who recently launched a Soju craft cocktail brand. Soju is a distilled Korean alcohol. And David's business brings it to a wider Western market in a way that's really interesting. And we go pretty deep on the brand story, brand identity, and how he went about starting the business. We actually went to the same high school, although at different times, and we didn't know each other. And there's plenty of banter and insights as well. David's a really thoughtful and, yeah, insightful person, which I was really pleased to discover as we talked. So big thank you to David. Check out drinkhummy.com to see his new soju craft cocktail business and kick back, relax, and enjoy another week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast. And we're off to the races. David, what's up, you legend? Nothing much. How's it going, Thomas? (laughs) I'm good, man. I'm excited to talk to you. So for the folks listening, David and I don't really know each other until this whole adventure, but I just, uh, you popped up my LinkedIn because we both went to St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this guy looks really interesting. I'm going <laughs> to cold message him. <laughs> Always love those inbounds. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So why don't we just start off by a little introduction? Uh, who is David and uh, what's going on in your life at this point, man? Sure. Um, so my name is David Lee. I was born in Mississippi down in the South and decided to, uh, to move over to South New Jersey where I spent most of my childhood. Um, like you mentioned, went to St. Joe's Prep, Philadelphia, went to the same high school, had a great time there. Uh, and then for my undergrad, I, I attended NYU where I studied finance and international business. Um, you know, wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, the quote unquote safe path was, just going into finance and trying to make as much money as you could. So uh, decided to take a career in, uh, in investment banking, which, you know, I thought I was always just going to do that for a couple of years and maybe find, find the next venture, but uh, ended up doing that for actually close to a decade. Um, and during my time uh, in investment banking, I worked with a lot of international clients doing cross-border M&A deals. Um, and that really excited me. Um, it wasn't even actually the, the finance aspect, but I think the, uh, the, uh, the international business component was something that, that really got me going. So, um, you know, after about a decade of doing that, I felt like I wanted some type of change. And I knew that I had always wanted to try becoming an entrepreneur. And so at the end of 2019, I decided to take that leap, uh, quit my job. My wife and I, uh, we were actually going to both move out to, to Vietnam um, to kind of, you know, pursue an international business. But unfortunately, my business idea happened to be in the hospitality industry, which, uh, you know, end of 2019, beginning of 2020 was, was not a great time to, to try starting something in, uh, in hospitality. But, uh, you know, so COVID quickly changed plans. We didn't even make it all the way into Vietnam. Um, and we had to suddenly figure out what we want to do. Um, so, we came back to the U.S. I was, you know, without a job, trying to figure out what the next step was going to be. And by pure coincidence, um, I had actually started researching the the cannabis industry. Um, it was actually because my mother, she's suffered from rheumatoid arthritis for several years, and you know, I was helping her to to look into alternative treatments. And 
I sure, realized that. Sure, sure. Heard, heard that one before. <laughs> no, no primary research. No. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, the, the funny part is like, I guess, you know, coming from the finance side of things and, you know, looking at the business aspect, I actually quickly realized how much of the, um, the business aspect I actually enjoyed about it. And it's not something they hear very often when it comes to regulated industries. Right. But um, I actually like that challenge of looking into the rules and seeing how these businesses uh, can operate within those confines. Yeah. Um, and so figured, uh, you know, found, found a new passion and uh, you know, that kind of stemmed that rolled into one thing and the next and uh, eventually decided to start a, a completely different venture in the alcohol industry with, with my best friend, Chris. Um, and that's what I'm doing right now. I've been full time on this new venture for the past three months. We just launched uh, earlier this month. The, the product is called Hummy H U M M Y as in hummingbird. Um, and it's been a, it's been a great journey. So. Awesome, man. Great introduction. So that's interesting what you said about uh, regulated industries. So you're basically saying that uh, you're sadistic in some sense of diving into the rule book. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny because my, uh, my wife, she actually, uh, when she first graduated from college, she wanted to become a lawyer. She even worked at a law firm, but uh, she always tells me now, and she, she decided to switch careers. She's not doing anything related to law currently, but... Um, she's always told me that uh, she feels like I actually would have enjoyed being a lawyer, which I I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or not. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We have a a new product that my company's launching, the company I work at, and um, I got some a lot of uh, interface recently with one of the executive directors who's kind of set up the whole approach to market and regulatory research and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's a lawyer, so I think that makes sense as far as understanding and, and playing the game. And like the impression I picked up from him actually was that so much of this stuff is not even talent based or necessarily intelligence. It's just like reading and mm-hmm. thinking about it and finding solutions, you know? So, exactly. Yeah. Is that, that you, you just, seem to be resonating? No, yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. You have to have a, um, a ton of patience because you will find, you'll keep running into roadblocks. Um, you know, you, you want to do one thing and you find out it's not that easy. Uh, so you have to kind of figure out a different avenue to get there. Uh, but I think if you really uh, go in with that solution oriented mindset, quote unquote, you know, then, uh, then, you know, it can be, it can be incredibly rewarding. Um, and, and I think when I look back now in my career, one thing that I kind of noticed uh, was that, even when I first started my my first job, um, I actually started in the world of uh, of bankruptcy, um, and in bankruptcy, you're governed by the bankruptcy code, and that's you know has its own complete set of rules. And so, um, there seems to be a little bit of a trend that I didn't realize in, until in you know until I looked back, right? Um, but I think I, I do enjoy kind of working within those within those rules and boundaries and trying to figure out what the uh, the, the best way to achieve a solution is. Yeah, for sure. So what kind of things are you running into now with Hummy? And it's also a, a, a soju seltzer, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So um, that's actually that in of itself has created a, a unique challenge for us because uh, we're, we're a little bit different from your traditional hard seltzers uh, where we're using this, um, you know, this component soju, which is a, a Korean distilled liquor for, for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, and so that actually classifies us more along the lines of a spirit as opposed to a beer or wine, which, you know, uh, a lot of the other hard seltzer products that you see on the market, they're actually classified as a, as a beer because of the way that they're made. Um, and so because of that product classification, you have to figure out a completely different way to distribute your product. Um, certain restaurants, certain stores, uh, they won't be able to hold, you know, hard liquor, even though they might be able to, you know, sell beer and wine. Um, so it's, uh, it, it definitely creates a unique set of challenges. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, it, it can be incredibly frustrating when you just like, you keep running into the rules uh, and you're just trying to, you're just trying to like break through that wall, but um, you sometimes have to just figure out, you know, different ways around it. Mm-hmm. So, so you had this idea, something about the soju struck you. 
And was it more of a, like an emotional connection to the product or was it a, Hey, this market actually doesn't have a, a, a seltzer that's more of a liquor rather than a beer. And what was it about kind of this specifically that made you think, okay, this is a good market market to enter. Yeah. That's a great question. So, um, when, when my business partner, Chris and I, when we started this venture, um, it was, it was late last year and, you know, past few years, hard seltzers had become incredibly popular. Um, in some ways it, it has become a little bit of a saturated market for sure. Um, but one thing that we had noticed is there was, there was very few products out there that were really targeting the kind of Asian American market. Um, and I say this because, you know, well, correction on that. So there were a few brands that were popping up that were targeting kind of Asian American flavors, but they were still approaching it from that typical hard seltzer angle. Mm-hmm. We felt like there was a significant opportunity by using this Korean alcohol, soju, because, I mean, many people don't know this, but soju is actually the number one most popular alcohol in the world by volume. Um, wow. It beats out vodka and all your other traditional liquors. Um, part of the reason for that is because it's uh, it tends to be a little bit uh, diluted. So it comes out closer to like a 15, 20% ABV as opposed to something you know harder hitting. But uh, in any case, it is an incredibly pop- popular liquor. Um, but it seems to be primarily known only within Korean or Asian circles. Um, and so we thought that there was there was a great opportunity to kind of bring this product to the quote unquote masses, right. In, in a more familiar format. Um, so that, you know, whether it's your Asian American audience or your Western American audience, they'll, they'll be able to enjoy this. Um, and I think if you take a look at what, what's happened with sake and the rise of Japanese cuisine over the past couple of decades, I think we're definitely going to be seeing a similar type of trend going on in, in Korean cuisine as well as in Korean beverages. For sure. And I think there's more of an appetite for international cuisine, right? In the United States, at least. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's it's kind of like the potentially an equivalent of what Starbucks did for coffee culture and kind of just upgrading the quality a little bit and bringing it to the masses and showing people that, hey, that actually you can get much better than pre-ground canned mm-hmm. coffee, you know? And for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a completely different type of uh, product that compared to what's out on the on the market. It's it's much more of a, I would describe it as uh, uh, it, it has much more of a cocktail feel um, because we use real fruit juice in our product, um, high percentage of of fruit juice you know along with that, and so you're getting a lot of real truly natural flavors as opposed to kind of other seltzers where, you know, there's an alcohol component, but the flavor is all coming from kind of uh, just artificial or, you know, uh, flavor components that are being added. For sure. Okay. So let's say you have this idea and you are like, I'm not seeing many or any soju seltzers. Is it as simple as like Googling all day to, to look for other competitors or how does a competitive analysis start? Yeah, so competition is a, a very, um, very important, but uh, sometimes I think a slightly overplayed uh, component when you're when you're thinking about starting a business, and it all depends on kind of what your what your angle is and whether you have something that's going to tr- truly differentiate yourself. Um, when we first started thinking about this venture, there were no other soju seltzers um, or, or you know similar type of products using soju out in the market. Uh, but the one thing that um, that we always said was, if it if there's none today, there will be tomorrow, and that's the way that we've always operated, right? You don't want the special sauce to simply be the fact that you have a product where there is none. I think the special sauce really needs to be something more than that, where you're you feel like your your product is truly differentiated apart from just you know what it has inside, but like what it stands for, right? You know, brand story is a very com- critical component, especially in, uh, in consumer products. Um, and you know, what kind of value are you adding to the consumer? Um, I think if you, if you really approach it from that consumer mentality first, right, I think it's, uh, you know, Amazon and Jeff Bezos has always said, like, rather than focusing on your competitors, focus on the consumer. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing. So I'm glad that we, we, 
we stuck to that mantra from from the start because you know there was no other competitor um, in the beginning of this venture. But uh, over the past couple of months, there there have been. And to be very honest with you, like although competition can always be scary, in our view, that's actually a great thing for our industry, or rather mm-hmm. for our sub industry, given that soju and the Asian American alcohol market is still quite small. So the more players that there are, the better for us, right? White Claw has become wildly successful because of Truly and vice versa. Um, and because of those two guys and other competitors, the entire hard seltzer market has been able to grow. Um, and we're hoping to see the same thing in, um, in Asian American alcohol as well. Totally. I wonder, you know, will it just be like the Korean diaspora, if you will, or the Korean generational movements throughout the world as far as like heritage or will it be other, you know, types of Asian identities that identify with it, you know? We, we hope that, uh, we hope that it's going to, it's going to resonate well beyond just the Asian American audience. Um, and I think, uh, you know, you can see similar type of trends going on in, uh, K-pop, Korean pop. Is uh, yeah. know, wildly wildly <laughs> popular nowadays with you know the likes of like yeah. BTS and Blackpink, um, even Korean film and and TV shows. Squid Game obviously was a was a recent phenomenon. Um, I think at the end of the day, people are just attracted to to great stories, right? They don't necessarily care whether it is their own culture or something that they can identify with. People can I just identify with with a great story. Um, and at the end of the day, like the, the product that we created, we wanted it to be um, something that we really enjoyed and something that would stand on itself um, and something that consumers would enjoy, not just because it's, it's Korean and a, and a taste that's familiar with them, but just because it's, it tastes freaking awesome. Because quality. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure, man. That's um, interesting too, to think about the brand story. Cause that's something that like, I don't know. It took me a conscious effort to really wrap my head around that. And the idea that like, I understood from a certain age that, you know, this, <laughs> like, I always say that like, we're not, you know, like bread or like ingrained to be patriotic in this country. We're trained to be consumers. And like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. the first identity is like, you are a consumer and this is everything we're going to do is like go to school so you can get a job, get a job so you can buy shit. <laughs> and so thinking about those like brand relationships, right? Like, like this microphone I'm using right now, I just, it, it was highly recommended. I bought it. I use it now. I like it. But mm-hmm. the people behind this microphone have put countless thousands of hours into thinking about how I'm going to subconsciously interact with their brand. Right. And that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. You know, it's, uh, but it just goes on all it, around us. It- <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There's a little bit of a, it's a, it's almost like a field of psychology when you, when you think about kind of like marketing and, and branding for sure. Um, I think so. So I'll have to admit that I got a ton of help from, from my amazing wife, um, who is a, a brand strategist herself. And so oh, she was, she was, she was great. Um, <laughs> when, when we had to develop the brand story. Um, but I think, you know, to your point at the end of the day, like we're all consumers, right. And, uh, if you really think about what it is that makes you enjoy the products that you do, right? I mean, obviously, we, we're all attracted to, to products that, that work or taste great. Um, but sometimes there's there's something a little bit more, right? Why do you choose, uh, you know, the can of Coca-Cola versus the can of generic cola, um, you know, at the supermarket, right? Um, and I think if you if you really take a little bit more of a creative lens, right? And try to think about, okay, you have your product, but what is the story that you want your, your company and your brand to, to stand for? Um, and hopefully there's going to be people out there that it resonates with. I mean, I think one thing that, that you have to always remember is when you're, uh, when you're going out there, you can't please every single person. And this is obviously uh, an approach that I think is also helpful for, for life in general, but you can't please a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the people. Um, but I think if you, if you develop something that you're just passionate about and something that you love for yourself, there's a pretty damn good chance that someone else out there loves it as well. Um, and I think if you just go in with, with that type of mentality and, um, and, and feel like you're, you're doing the best that you can, then that's, that's, what's most important. For sure. 
Because people, I mean, we all, I think some, somehow on a deep level want that excitement. It's like, oh, like David's all stoked on this hummy. I got to try it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. Now I want to try it. Absolutely. Like, when is it getting up to the bay? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully soon. Hopefully in the next few months. But again, that's that's another thing with uh, these regulated industries. You have to get a different license for every single state that you're going into. Um, but fingers fingers crossed, hopefully in the next couple of months, we're, we're going to be on the West Coast as well. So. Dude, um, if you need a rep to go cold sell liquor stores <laughs> up here. For sure. <laughs> Get some advertising <laughs> on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so sourcing. Talk to me about sourcing. So I would imagine with these ingredients, say like the fresh the fresh juice, you could go something that's like super processed and maybe comes in a package of some goop that you feed through a pressure machine or however it gets into the final product. <laughs> You know, how did you, how did you evaluate what ingredients to use to make the beverage? Yeah. Um, I mean, so, so first we identified the type of flavors that we're going for, right. Um, you know, we, we certainly want to, uh, identify flavors that weren't out there in the market that were a little bit unique um, and and would resonate with that kind of, you know, the Asian American angle that we were speaking about earlier. So the three flavors that we have are Asian pear, uh, honey melon and white peach. And once we were able to kind of identify, okay, here are the flavors that we wanted, then, um, you know, we, we work very hard with our partners to, to find a good supplier, um, that would bring in quality ingredients, um, without, you know, as you can imagine, the supply chain issues this past year have been an absolute nightmare. Um, so that, Mm -hmm. that adds a whole nother logistical challenge. Uh, but making sure that you have a, a stable supply, a uh, reliable supply, and one that's of quality. Um, and that sounds like, that sounds much easier than, than you would think. I mean, just to give you one, one example, um, for one of our, for one of our flavors, literally once we were figured, once we were finalized the formulation and we were about to move to our production run, we reached out to the vendor to place the order and it turned out they couldn't supply it anymore. They didn't give any good reason. They just said that for whatever reason, they they simply couldn't supply that ingredient to us. Uh, so that forced us to reformulate again completely. It's almost it was almost like we're starting from scratch. Um, and then we had to go through the entire refiling process with the with the regulatory agencies once we had a new formulation and everything. So oh, um, yeah, it's uh, that's the reason why. Like again, <laughs> patience patience in in this industry is is absolute key. Um, but um, that was definitely that was definitely a big hurdle. But once you figure out those challenges, then it's it's great. Um, you you get to work with some very you know quality suppliers and vendors, um, and so hopefully it's a lot more smooth sailing from here on out. Is it one of those things where you have to kind of earn the supplier's trust and like make a reputation in, in a way, or is it are they kind of more like all right, like get in line, we'll we'll send you the goods. That's a great question. It it kind of depends. I mean, each each vendor is a little bit different. Uh, so one of our vendors, you know, they're they're pretty large, like you know, a pretty large fruit vendor. Um, and so you know, as a starting brand, we're we're pretty small, uh, pretty small customer for them. Um, but at the same time, they you know, for anyone who's been in this industry for long enough, like you never know who's going to be a hit and who's who's going to kind of fade away, right? It is like I said, a very uh, saturated competitive market. So um, there are a lot of brands that that come up and then kind of fizzle out. Um, but you know, I think they, luckily they, because there's always that possibility that, that someone's going to make it big and kind of get to that next level, you know, they, uh, we haven't had too much, too many problems with that. So nice. So as far as to like the whole crux of this was like, you identified that there was a market not being served or a, you know, these flavors hadn't really been introduced to the wider U S market. And that's a bit of vision, right? That takes some, um, some kind of, yeah, foresight or sensing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a common theme that all entrepreneurs have, or successful entrepreneurs have. So, is that something that you and your partner kind of consciously cultivated, or does that come naturally? You know, is that something that can be taught? Hmm. So. 
as I mentioned before, I knew that I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't necessarily have a specific idea throughout all these years, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the approach I always take was, you know, yes, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I want to, I want to be going after it because, you know, I have a great idea or product, not trying to chase being an entrepreneur for the sake of being an entrepreneur. I think that's when you start kind of running into to, to some problems. You know, people sometimes get a little egotistical. They want to have that CEO title and the glitz and the glamour. Um, but for me, I think it was it was a lot more important to to be passionate about whatever it was that 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 I was going to be working on, and to truly love the product. Um, when it came to the soju seltzer idea, I mean. I think when, even with, with my last venture, the hospitality venture, um, there's a lot of times where, you know, business ideas will kind of flow into your mind. But I have found that I am both an incredible optimist as well as a pessimist. And I think sometimes that, that can actually be a very helpful balance because you want to be enough of an optimist to have that vision and to see all the potential benefits in the upside and to chase after um, those goals, but you also need to have that quote unquote pessimist or, you know, that, that, that very practical side where you're kind of seeing, okay, how can I actually get there? And I think one of the frameworks that has um, been very beneficial for me is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a sort of a visualization exercise where you identify what the goal is that, that you want to achieve. But rather than just kind of thinking about all the all the upsides, you get very, very specific and start thinking in detail about what that would look like. So, I mean, one way of doing it that I found to be helpful was you write a journal entry, whether, you know, five, 10 years, 15 years, whatever your goal may be, right? Let's say it's, you know, selling your company. You write a journal entry, envisioning what that exactly feels like. But then from that point, you actually work your way backwards and you identify what are the key milestones that are going to actually get you to that point. And again, don't just think about the positives, but also think about the negatives, think about the risks, think about the, the challenges and the hardships that you had to go through in order to reach that point. That's something that that's been very helpful for me because, um, you know, I think it, it, a lot of times when, when you just think about the, the positives and everything that, that could go well. When you're faced with those challenges, then it can be very disheartening. But I think if you kind of ready it in your mind a little bit and you keep both the end goal as well as the kind of near-term journey um, in mind, then it's uh, it makes it a much easier process. Nice. Well said, man. God, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Like one of my goals that I'm just popped up in my mind today is that, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, I want to have a dope podcast studio, mm-hmm. whether it's separate from where I live or attached to my house or whatever. And I just have the most interesting, successful, fucking inspiring people come by the crib all week and we just have Absolutely. awesome conversations. <laughs> you know, so I love that, uh, that exercise to work backwards and. Yeah, that's great, man. Uh, along your career journey too, when we talked previously, you had shared that, you know, wasn't always this like you know, smooth sailing. Of course, everyone has ups and downs mm-hmm. and, and there was a, sure. a time when you were, uh, let go from a job and, yeah, and absolutely. kind of experienced a toxic culture and things around that that didn't align with you. So what was that experience like? And is, are there any kind of, um, well, yeah. What what kind of insights did you gain from the, from that whole experience? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a that was that was a really important lesson for me uh, very early on in my career. So, um, my first job out of college, uh, I joined one of the the largest investment banks in the world. It was you know your your typical you know very reputable, uh, impressive job and the mucky mucks. Uh, it was, I mean, I went to I went to NYU where the tuition was very expensive, so you know you can say that it was a desirable outcome <laughs> after yeah. after all that. But um, you know, it was it was actually a 
a job that I was actually very passionate about. It was it was something that I had set as a goal for myself. Um, something that you know that particular firm I, I really want to work there. Um, and it was to the point where like I had read biographies about the CEO. I had read about the history of the investment bank. You know, really, really just getting passionate about it. Um, and you know, I won't go into all the details, but uh, you know, less than a year into into that job. Uh, I was let go for, it was a little bit of a bizarre reason, but, uh, you know, I was kind of scapegoated for a situation that was, that was somewhat out of my control. Um, and that was a huge shock to, to be fired, you know, less than a year of working. Um, and it was definitely a wake up call. Um, you know, I had to figure out what it was that I wanted to do, um, and, and had to ask a lot of tough questions about myself. Uh, I think one of the real important lessons from that whole experience was just learning at a very early age that I am not my career. And I think that is something that a lot of people forget about in this day and age. Um, a lot of times when, uh, I don't know about here on the West Coast, but like on, on the East Coast, like in, in, in New York <laughs> City, when you're meeting new people, one of the first questions people ask is, what do you do? What do you do? Right? It's, 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 a, it's, it's such a strong part of our identity. Yeah. Um, and for any person who has ever been temporarily out of a job or maybe like myself right now, where you're, you know, you're working on something a little bit more entrepreneurial, it's, it's a very interesting question when you, when you hear that, because, you know, previously you, you just kind of identify with the work that you do, but I think what's actually a lot more important and, and what I kind of had to learn at an early age was, you know, who I am is not necessarily just what I do, but also how I am and, and why I am. Right. I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, the motivations are, uh, something that's very important. Um, and the values that you have, that was a very tough time in, in my life, uh, to suddenly be unemployed, um, looking for a new job when, when I thought I quote unquote had it made, um, but it was also a very humbling experience and one where, uh, once I got my next job, I developed a strong self sense of confidence that, Hey, you know, if I encounter any other type of hardship like this, I'll be okay. I'll be able to find that next job and I'll be able to keep going. Um, and I think that is something that's been, um, very valuable for me. So later on in my career, my, my, one of my most recent, uh, my most recent job, uh, that was the one that had a very terrible to toxic culture. Um, and it was luckily something that I identified quite early on. Um, and again, it was, it was very nerve wracking at any time that you decide to leave a job without something fully lined up. But because of that experience that I had early on in my career, I knew that, okay, I, this was not going to be the right place for me. I didn't respect my manager. I felt like it was um, a terrible culture. So let me just, let me just leave and figure out what the next thing is that, is, that I'm going to do. Um, and not being too fearful of that. Uh, so I think it in hindsight, like, you know, if you asked me 21, 22 year old David, when, when I was unemployed, you know, if that was a, an experience that I would, I would be very grateful for there's you know of course i would have said no way but um in hindsight i'm i'm very glad to have had that experience especially early on in my career nice man dude what you said about who i am is not what i am it's how i am and why something else mm -hmm. what i am yeah absolutely that's mm -hmm. I, that was an incredible line man i love that and i agree that it is something that's hard to disassociate with our identities. I think also because of the piece about how we're American consumers, not American citizens, you know, that's mm. a sentiment that I really do believe. And it's something that mm -hmm. is good to keep in mind because that feeds into our sense of self-worth. Like you said, how we relate to people. And yeah, I, I also was fired from my first job out of college. It wasn't uh it wasn't something I was like super passionate about. And, and so I, I didn't have that same, I think kind of gusto for it, but it was still very similar, mm -hmm. right? It's like I moved out right. to California, shit out of luck, got super <laughs> fired. You know, right. dude, I wasn't even fired. 
I was like tricked into quitting. So they, they were basically like, oh, Hey, uh, really not performing. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like I'm grinding, man. I'm here. Uh-huh. I'm here 10 hours a day or whatever. Like I'm, I'm, I'm busting my ass trying to do this job. But, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I'm not performing. And they're like, what are we going to do about that? And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know. Looking back now, I'd be like, well, I'm not quitting. You can right, fire me right. uh-huh. <laughs> if you think I'm yeah, not performing. <laughs> but I, I quit, yeah. you know. So then, I, then I learned. Oh, okay, you're not eligible for unemployment. You know, they just paid mm-hmm. me whatever was remaining on that two weeks. But oh, that sucks, man. Yeah, but you know, luckily I had you know enough enough uh, couple couple G's in the bank to pay pay rent for mm-hmm. that month or whatever it was, and, and figure it out. Um. But yeah, man, I think for me, that one was just like humble pie. You know, that was just like my next job. Sure. I came in with an attitude of like, I'm here to learn. I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to provide value somehow because I've been in sales since I graduated college, which I'm go back and forth on. But with that job, it's tough just because it's so quantitative in your performance, right? It's super transparent. Mm-hmm. And I identified early that, okay, I'm not going to always be performing, like whether it's the market, whether it's me, whether it's the product I'm selling, whatever. So I have to find another way to provide value and I have to find another way mm-hmm. to be kind of in valuable to the team somehow. So right. that's something I, I, I keep in the back of my mind too. And, and it's interesting as you say that, to remind myself, like keep yeah. that humility, you know, keep that, that, uh, that mindset of like, nothing is, nothing is given to us, right? We have to earn it. 100%. No, it was, uh, it was a great lesson for me too, because once I, uh, it was funny after that experience, cause don't get me wrong. It, it can, it could be a pretty traumatic experience, you know, especially mm-hmm. that early on in your career, but, uh, every single job that I've had since then, right. I think, um, I, I don't want to, there's a degree to which this is healthy, but I think operating with a certain degree <laughs> of paranoia, right? Like as, as if you yeah. have a, a target on your back, right? Um, I do think that that, that that can be a great motivator. And I think maybe the, the more, maybe the healthier way of putting that is to your point, you can't take anything for granted. And I think sometimes when we when we take jobs, especially jobs that we don't particularly like or passionate about, and, and by the way, there's that's totally fine. You don't you don't have to always be in a job like you know every step mm-hmm. of the way in your career and feel like you're you're in love with it. There's always a it, it's a process, right? I think if you always you know approach it from uh, with the mentality of okay, this is a journey. Maybe this isn't the right job for me, but this will help me find the next thing, right? Um, I think regardless, it's still important to do as good of a job as you can, no matter where you are. And, uh, I think that was some, that was a good lesson for me, um, to, to remember to, you know, that quote unquote, the, the only the paranoid survive, right. Um, and to, <laughs> and to not take my job for granted, so to keep busting my ass off and to, to keep going after it every single day. For sure, man. Absolutely. And, yeah, I love that attitude, man, and and it's a good one to keep front and center because, yeah, it is easy to get complacent, you know. You do something for a few years or even a few months and get mm-hmm. like, okay, like my team likes me, or okay, like I had a couple wins and so now I'm good. Right, but it's like, mm-hmm. what are the goals, right? Because for some people, work is just a means to pay the bills and, and, you know, they don't find inspiration or, you know, deep value from it. But I don't know, I guess I'm kind of negotiating that in my own head. Cause I don't know. I'm a passionate person. I want to, I, I, that's what I'm seeking. Like you said, like the journey, mm-hmm. right? Like finding the right mm-hmm. like thing that is inspirational and, and motivational, but right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's tough. And, and every single, every single person is going to have a different approach, right? There's, there's some people who will, will show up to their nine to five and maybe it's not something that they're super passionate about, but as long as it pays the bills, then they find their, their happiness in other ways. Right. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, there's no, there's certainly no right answer here in life. Right. So 
Um, I think as long as whatever approach you're taking, you just, you feel like you're owning it, right? You know, if it, if it's, if it's, Hey, this is not the right job for me, but this is going to get me to that next step. Then just cement that, that, that type of mentality in your mind, um, because it will feel like you're, you're really in the driver's seat of that decision, as opposed to, uh, feeling like you're a victim uh, of, of things that are going on outside of you. I love that, man. Dude, you're a wise ass man, David. Goddamn. (laughs) I love that. dude. I try. I try. (laughs) That's what's up, man. So what about that? Like, you know, is my program is is a lot of self-improvement, self-reflection kind of ideas and concepts. So what are the things that you, you do? I would, I would say when you think about Mm -hmm. self-improvement, whether it be work relationship, absolutely all the above. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I think, you know, especially since, uh, since, since COVID and then these lockdowns, something that, um, has become increasingly more and more important. So for myself, I actually, uh, by pure coincidence, I actually started, uh, really getting into a meditation practice a few months, like right around the time that I, nice. that I quit my job. Um, and this is a few months before COVID, but I'm very glad that I picked it up before COVID started. Cause I think without it, it would have been, it would have been very difficult, especially during that period of instability where we were just, you know, moving all around the world and wasn't sure what was going to happen next. Um, I think it is, I think it's very important for, for people to, to do something for themselves. And I know that sounds you know, very, uh, very selfish, but I think it is very important to take some time out of your day to either work out, you know, read a book, do you know journal entries or a meditation practice, just just some type of practice that allows you to kind of you know break away from from the outside world. And I think especially it's particularly important when you think about this day and age with like social media, for example, right, where you're just constantly looking outward and and looking at other people and what they're doing. Um, and there's always this feeling of FOMO, right? Like you, you feel like, you know, you're not as cool and not as good looking or whatever. Um, and I think by doing that and by looking inward a little bit, you will naturally become a more selfless person, a more generous person, kinder person, um, and just developing more empathy for others. Um, and so, that's something that I would, I would strongly encourage everyone to, to do. I, I saw that one of your early podcasts, you had um, um, someone from the, um, the Art of Life uh, Foundation. And that was actually something that I, uh, that I actually participated recently myself. Oh, um, think, let's you know, go. It, it, it's great. It was, it was, a, it was an awesome program. Yeah. yeah. Awesome program. Which, uh, which retreat did you do? Um, it was, it was online. Um, but it was, I did it a couple weeks ago. Um, so it was, it was pretty recent, but yeah, you know, all, all the time. Is it the, bre- you know, the breath work one or the yoga one or what was the, correct? it was, it was the, uh, the sky breath work. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had Hong May who taught me in Philly. And then I, two weeks ago I had Kushal. Um, nice. His story is interesting, man. I think you would like that one. Cause he okay. had a very pretty similar kind of narrative. Like he was a, a, a day trader on day trader. He was a stock trader and then survived nine 11 from inside the world trade center and mm. then ended up wow. finding art of living. But yeah, that's, I think that's interesting, man. So what do you think it, what about the journey within can, has the potential to be that kind of selfless motivator for people? Hmm. It's a great question. I think, I think one of the one of the challenges that we all face is, you know, um, as we're so busy with our jobs and uh, you know, balancing relationships and jobs and everything else that we have going on going in our life, you know, we we tend to get caught up in in, in all of it, right? And you start to to form different type of narratives, and uh, you know, you you start to develop the uh, that ego, right? I think the the ego is something that's always you know, <laughs> it, it's it's an interesting topic, but like you know, um, I think you have to be careful about that at times because um, 
you know, not to say having a little bit of ego is necessarily a bad thing, but I think when you start to to view everything from from your own perspective and within your own narrative, right, you start to kind of really you forget and and stop truly kind of seeing what what's what's around you and the people around you. Um, and I think you know, even when it comes to relationships, for example, right, um, when you start dating someone for a very long time. You know, you, you start to take certain things for granted. And I think it's always uh, a very healthy thing to take that step back and just have that refresher and just reminding yourself, okay, what are you grateful for? Who are you grateful for? Why are you grateful for, for those things and people? Um, and so, and you can't, you can't achieve that without taking a moment to pause and kind of reflecting in, in, inward a little bit. So. It can be a little bit uncomfortable when you first start doing it, but I think it's a, it's a very, very healthy practice. Agreed. Yeah, I think just it's a good perspective. Like literally we have to process life coming in from our – the only lens we have is our own. You know, that's there's so much coming in that we have to filter it through the perspective of, okay, who is – or how does this thing happening – affect me because that's just the only you know perspective we have and then mm-hmm. yeah by kind of allowing ourselves to yeah get away from the superficial paradigm maybe and kind of see that there is so much more you know mm-hmm. than just what's this in front of us immediately right but yeah yeah that's awesome man that's really cool and uh yeah i've been doing the sky breath like january i started um it hasn't been super consistent, but last few weeks mm-hmm. been more consistent with it. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, so man. The, so, so the one that you did recently was that also Sky Breath, or was that a different different type of uh, workshop? The I did the yoga one a while back, uh-huh. and that was cool because it was more like big Y yoga uh, in addition to the physical um, yoga. So it was like the the theory and kind of the the meditations and the history behind yoga and, and kind of what that awesome. what that means that was interesting and they also great. have yeah they have a silent retreat too yeah um, i think that's more impactful in person but um yeah yeah that one that one's definitely interesting i uh i remember i i had a, i had I'd met someone years ago who went on a uh, silent meditation retreat. And I think he was actually there for, it wasn't even just a few days. I think it was, he was actually there for a couple of weeks. And I, the, wow. the, the idea of that was just like, so, so appalling to me at the time. But I think um, <laughs> <laughs> after, after practicing meditation more and just kind of, you know, seeing the kind of inner peace it can bring you, um, I can certainly see, see the value in it. So totally dude. Awesome, David. Well, we'll pivot over to the the final chapter of every episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast, the three things game. Okay. The best game <laughs> a lot. Best game around. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so uh what month is your birthday in? July. July. Okay, nice. So you're up you're up first. Here is your question. Hmm. That's a very interesting question. Uh, so what I can tell you the question, right? Yeah. Yeah, please. Okay. So what are three things I've learned about food? So having developed my own, you know, food and beverage product, I think one thing that's, uh, that's, that's been surprising is when you kind of see the inner workings of, of how everything operates is, um, always, always read labels with, with a little bit of skepticism because a lot of it is marketing. For sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, I know, because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real fruit juice, you know, all natural. That's every, Everything's good in our cans, but I can't say the same for everyone else. So, um, uh, I'll say the, the role of food in, in kind of uh, you know, obviously in health, but also just kind of in your happiness is, is definitely a, a a big one that I've kind of realized this the past couple of years as I've uh, mm. tried to try to eat healthier. Um, and what would be the last thing? Hmm. Can't think of a, a good one for, for, for the last one right now, but nice too. It is <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, I agree. Food is 
super impactful and we don't, we don't think about it. Okay. My question is what are three things I've learned about love? Well, mm. I love love. I'm a total romantic. Um, I'm super in love with my girlfriend, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, uh, that's lovely. And I think that number two would be on a deeper level, right? Like just turned 26, I would say, you know, I've had other relationships and I've had other like dating other people in my twenties, but this I would say is like a first, um, like relationship to taking like super seriously as an adult and or more mm-hmm. seriously in the sense of like, like think all things we talked about, like be less selfish, be more considerate, think about how my actions impact other people. And in this instance, love has just held a mirror up to me and a lot of my strengths and weaknesses, you know, things that about myself that I, you know, she's taught me to be proud of, right. And be like, that's so cool that you can do that. That's so amazing for X, Y, Z reason. And then also things that where I've fallen so short, right. And like hurt her and and been like, Oh crap. Like I need to seriously like, take this thing on with much more maturity and, and, and not play with this person's heart who has given it to me, you know? So all of that number two would be like just how much of a mirror it is has been really interesting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, the whole theme of this podcast, right? Bro Nouveau is like, be better, man. And Mm -hmm. the relationship has shown me that I actually have a lot of improvement to do. Mm. Um, and then, Number three, I think there's something there with love that's like, I'll, I'll go self-love. Yeah, I'll go self-love, man. I think that's something that we are not taught in this culture, at least. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know in any cultures if it's taught. Maybe in like cultures that are more connected to like their history and like the stories from ancestors and stuff. But I, I don't mm. know. I, I don't. I don't think there's much of an emphasis in the U S on like, give yourself a pat in the back, you know, be proud. That's so, I think that's a great point. I think that, I think way too many people have, you know, including myself have that inner critic that's always blaring so loudly. Right. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. just taking a moment to remind ourselves to, to be kinder to ourselves and then just appreciate ourselves. I think that is a very, very important lesson. So beautiful. Well, David, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much, man. Folks, go check out drinkhummy.com for a delicious soju seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys get to enjoy it and try it. So, thanks a lot, Thomas. I uh, appreciate the time and having me on your podcast. It's been great. Yeah, likewise, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your time as well.